welcome to the When's My Time podcast. I'm Ozzy Eyre, founder of whensmytime.com, and I aim to be your boss's worst nightmare. It's Saturday the 17th of December uh, 2016. Uh, yes, I am recording this on a Saturday and I'll tell you why in a moment. And here in my part of the UK, it's a bit of a dank, foggy, stroke, misty day. I'm never quite sure where the crossover is between fog and mist, but uh, but it's a, it's a dank day here. Rather befitting of this time of year. And uh, I'll be honest, rather befitting of the day. Um... Now, I mentioned, I think it was in yesterday's podcast, that um, 17 years ago today, my father died quite suddenly. And uh, I hope you're going to forgive me, because this episode is probably going to be even more self-indulgent than usual. And you're probably thinking, how can it get more self-indulgent? You spend each podcast talking about yourself and your views and all that sort of stuff. It it could hardly get more so, but... uh, I hope you can see that behind all of that, there is there is a message that I'm trying to get out there, which I think is going to be valuable. Um, but this one, maybe, yeah, maybe there's there are messages buried in this as well. But uh, I just wanted to talk about my dad for a bit, um, because I'll be honest, you might say, well, you're a guy nearly 60 years of age, you know, in, in what, 15 months' time, you'll be 60. And yet I'm still my dad's son. I'm still his kid. And uh, I miss him more. Uh, it's it's crazy. You you think you sort of grow out of these things. You you don't. You grow into them. Was it Mark Twain who said something like, uh, "When I was fourteen, I was constantly embarrassed by how ignorant my father was, but by the time I was twenty-one, I was amazed by the how much the the old boy had come along." Something along those. I, I'm I'm used to murdering quotes, and I'm sure you're used to me murdering quotes. But it, it was something like that. Uh, and clearly, clearly, the whole point that Mark Twain was making there was that uh, it wasn't his father who changed at all. It was that he himself had grown up and could recognise the wisdom of his father. And and that is so like me. I It wasn't until, and I was a lot older than 21, I can tell you, that I started to see quite how how together my father was. Not, not all the time. This is not a hagiography. I'm not trying to portray him as a saint or anything of that sort. He, he, he wasn't, but he was a, a saintly man. Does that make sense? He was a good man, and um, given his start, given his start in life, he could have been f- forgiven for not being. You see, he was born back in 1930 in uh, Midland. In fact, he was actually born in the same maternity home, not a hospital, a maternity home in a small town in the East Midlands, northeast Midlands, and. Um, 27 years after that, no, 28 years after that, I was born in this, not only the same maternity home, but in the same room as my dad. But uh, that's that's by the by. Uh, I can tell you his childhood and mine were very different. He had two brothers, one quite a bit older uh, and uh, one quite a bit younger. By the time he was eight, his mother was already showing signs of multiple sclerosis, a, a form of multiple sclerosis. His father, instead of staying around to look after her, just left. Now, my father never told me about his father. He never talked about it, and I just figured... I never I never asked, and I, I, I don't know now whether... It's too late now, I don't know now whether I should have done. But I figured that he'd tell me if he wanted to. I knew there was a lot, a lot of antipathy towards his father, and understandably so. But his, his dad just upped and left. Now, 
what happened then probably shaped my my father's life even more than than that uh, because his older brother, who was I think at about uh, aged about fifteen at the time, was in the terms of the day old enough to go and make his own way in life. He'd left school, and I think he was taken under his uncle's wing, who was. Um, a fairly successful guy, unusually within the family at that stage. Certainly a lot more wealthy than my father's mother, my grandmother, who I never knew. But he sort of went into business. I think he sort of took him on as an apprentice. He went into business and probably moved in with him. I'm not sure of the exact detail. But I know he wasn't around, his, his older brother. His younger brother, who was younger by a few years, was adopted by my father's great aunt officially adopted. And I did get to meet she and her husband. Uh, my great-great-aunt and uncle were alive well into my late teens. But my dad was left at home with his mum. And he, at the age of eight, became her primary carer. There was I mean, They couldn't afford doctors. It was pre- the NHS, it was before the, the National Health Service that we have here in the UK, where care is still, at the moment, free at the point of delivery. Um, but there, there was none of that. They couldn't afford doctors, they couldn't afford carers, they couldn't... He became her primary carer at the age of eight. And consequently, he missed most of his schooling. On the days that he did make it into school, he was frequently beaten for having missed school or been late arriving or whatever. So his, his experience of school was not great, which is a shame, because I can tell you, he, after school, he taught himself a lot about music and the arts. And given an education, given a, a formal education, I mean, he took himself so far, but he, he needed, he would have benefited so much with a mentor or somebody to take him by the hand and lead him. He was a talented artist. He could draw wonderfully well. Wonderfully well. But I, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so he, as I say, was his mum's primary carer. And, and as you're no doubt aware, multiple sclerosis is a degenerative disease and progressively she got worse and worse and worse. And I think she died when she was about 21 years... Uh, he, when he was about 21 years of age. Now, what that meant was when he left school, he couldn't go away. He had several jobs. I, I know he had several jobs, one of which was with a, a grave digger in, in Derby. The, the, it was then a town, but it's now a city in, in my home county of Derbyshire. Grave digger and, and gardener. So he worked with him for quite a while, but then he got a job in Nottingham in a painting and decorating shop. And at a very early age, he became the manager of that shop. But he also learnt how to hang wallpaper. In fact, I've still got a, a machine, believe it or not, a machine dating back to probably the late 1940s, early 1950s, that pastes wallpaper for you. Um, so it's a fantastic thing. But uh, I still got that. And again, I, I'm, I told you this was going to be self-indulgent. But then he got his call-up papers because back then there was it was not long after the war and there was national service. 
Now, my dad had always dreamed of joining the RAF, the Royal Air Force. But he couldn't go away because of his mother. Because there was no one to care for her. It was the very start of the NHS, but there was no uh, there was no sort of formal care available for her. So he could not go away into the forces. And the only other choice was to go down the coal mines. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, we did live in a, a coal mining area. In fact, for a short while, I worked at a coal mine. We lived in a mining area, and so he went down the mines. And that's where he stayed pretty much until his retirement. Along the way, he um, advanced himself. He studied and became first a, a deputy, what's called a deputy, and then he became uh, an overman, which is sort of a foreman, but that doesn't do it justice because it needed a lot more than just the skills of a, a foreman in other parts of industries to be a colliery overman. Now, oddly enough, that meant <laughs> a, a cut in pay. Um, the the higher he got up the scale, the, the less he seemed to earn because even though he was working alongside his men and often doing the work that he shouldn't have been doing, he was doing the men's work for them, uh, which is something I found out pretty much after his death because I'd meet his ex-colleagues who told me about this sort of stuff. They would get overtime, you know, generous overtime payments, that sort of stuff, and he, he it seems, didn't. Um, and I found, <laughs> I found some of his pay slips after when I cleared my parents' house out, and um, they were appalling. And they, were, they were appalling. But I do know that he studied. I mean, he was obviously well-liked and loved by his men, and I do mean that he was loved by his men. But he was also well-respected by the, the management. In fact, he was the first guy in the UK to drive what, what are known as long wall shearers, which is a, a, a huge... Machine. He started in the old pick and shovel days. Literally, he would be in thin seams of coal, lying on his side and hacking the coal out with, with a pick. He's, that's what how he started. But he he got to drive the, these huge machines that that shear off uh, the coal. They drive up and down the seam, the wall. It's called a long wall shearer. So drive and just shearing off this coal. He he was the first one in the UK to drive this machine, which I think was introduced from Canada, if I remember rightly, which would probably fit because Canada was part of the then British Empire, but now part of the Commonwealth. So that would probably fit. And I have somewhere the actual blueprints uh, of this machine. So he was very instrumental in that side of things. So he was well trusted by the management, but he was also loved by his men. Which, in some industries, and, and I'll tell you, in, in the coal industry was not always the case. You, you were on one side or the other. Um, it was seen as um, per, perpetual conflict. But my, my dad seemed to be able to bring that together. Anyway, again, I'm not trying to paint him as a saint. That's, that's not what I'm doing. But he's, he also had other interests. Um, I've already said he was uh, a great... A great artist with with a pencil. He 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 did some wonderful drawings, and he tried his hand at oils and watercolors and that sort of stuff. He also loved nature. He'd love to be out walking. And forgive me, I know most of my listeners are in the U.S. and not necessarily familiar with the U.K. But Derbyshire, my home county, and I'm, of course I'm going to say this because it's my home county. It's not where I live now, but Derbyshire, my home county, is one of the most beautiful places on earth. 
when you get above ground. If you're spending all your days below ground in a dusty coal mine, then of course you want to get in. You, you, well, you're going to want to do two things. You, you either want to go and sit in a pub and wash all the dust away with, with beer, or you're going to want to get out into the hills and let the clean air do that. And my father preferred that. And I think that's where I can get my love, love of the country from. He loved nature. He loved all of that. Obviously, he didn't get as much time as he'd like to do that. And as the years progressed and his health failed because of the work he was doing down the mines, he was able to do that less and less. But his love never diminished. Uh, his love of nature and the outdoors never diminished. He was also a church warden. He had a faith which I don't share. I, I did share at the time. I don't know how, I, it, being brutally honest, I didn't hold it as strongly. But uh, he was a church warden, and uh, in the village church now, there is a, a window, a stained glass window in his memory. So he wasn't the stereotypical mine worker. And to be honest, I think very few mine workers are stereotypical mine workers. Um, people outside of the industry have. Uh, a view and um, it's not always fair but anyway that was the, the sort of progression of, of my dad now along the way of course he met my mum uh, it was after his his own mother had passed away so my mum never knew her mother-in-law and certainly never knew her father-in-law uh, he was still alive but they didn't know where he was um, and they got married and they became the first generation of that family to to buy a house because it was a very impoverished family. I may talk about that side of things another time. I don't want this to sound uh, a woe is me. It's not that at all. I'm, I'm just telling the story of a man I loved and who showed a quiet determination that I, at the time didn't recognise. This is the whole point in this. This, this is, a, 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 if you like, an apology from me, way too late, at least 17 years too late, an apology from me for not recognising what a fantastic bloke my dad was. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's not looking back with hindsight and, and the rose-tinted glasses. Uh, that I do know there were faults there. But I've also learnt a lot about my dad since his passing that maybe would have helped me appreciate him more when he was around. So he, he, he met my mum and four year, and, and they, they got married. And then four years after that, I turned up. And as I say, I was born in not only the same maternity home as my dad, but in the same room as my dad. And he did everything. He and my mum did everything to make sure that we had a great childhood. Wasn't always happy. And it often seemed to be governed more by the things we couldn't have or couldn't do than the things that we could because money was always tight. It was always, always an issue. But Christmases were always good and obviously Christmas is just around the corner and birthdays were always good. And they always made sure there was something there for us and we never went hungry. We never went without the basics. We never, you know, it was always there for us. But because, as I say, we always seem to be governed by what we couldn't do rather than what we could do, rather what we couldn't have rather than what we could have, I grew up with this perhaps jaundiced view 
that well you know why why can't I you know I see other people having all this stuff or doing all this stuff it's clearly my parents fault that we can't and I, I totally missed I, which I totally understand now I totally missed the point and I have to tell you that at the time I, I thought that my parents lacked ambition I can't think of a better word for it I, that's not the term that I would have given it as a as a kid myself, but it, it just seemed as though something was stifled there. But now I look back, now I look back and see the, the start that my dad had. And the start that my mum had as well, and I, I haven't told her story, but the start that my mum had as well. They achieved so much. They had phenomenal success based on their start point. And I never, I never, while they were alive, gave them credit for that. And I should do. And so this is, as I say, it's by way of a, an apology to, to them both that I'm recording this. So if you're still with me, thank you for listening so far. I do hope you think I've not been wallowing in some sort of self-pity here. It's just, I want to make it clear that if you have your parents still around, take a look at them and take a look at them through critical eyes. I don't mean go and criticise them. I mean, take a look at them through objective critical eyes and have a look at what they've done for you. Have a look, because it's not always easy to appreciate at the time. Have a look what they've done for you. My genuine hope now is that I've been a better father than I've ever was a son to my mum and dad. I think that's the debt that we all owe our parents if our parents stayed around to look after us. In fact, it's the debt we owe all our parents anyway. It's to be a better mother or father to our own kids than we were a son or daughter to our parents. It's not to be better parents than they were to us. I mean, yes, of course, we, we're going to try to do that. But we don't know what they went through. We don't know what their thought processes were. We don't know what troubles they faced that they kept from us. So how about that? We try to be a better father or mother to our kids than we were a son or a daughter to our parents. You with me on that? Okay. Thank you for indulging me. Thank you for listening to that. Dad, if you can hear this, and if you are right uh, about the religion thing and I'm wrong, if you can hear this, I miss you. I've been Ozier, founder of whensmytime.com, and I'm here to tell you, your time is now.